Get up there. It's not going to do you no good to hide. Get up. Get up on your feet. Stand up there. Turn on the lights. Yeah, like the other day, I was listening to this ball game. And uh, back of the uh, press box, there was some guy hollering all the time. You can hear me. Ever listen to the guys hollering? If you got a really good uh, hi-fi radio, you know you can turn it up real good. So you really, really turn up the gain, and you hear these people yelling all around the press box. You know, hollering things like, uh, "You bum, come on, hey Phil Rizzuto, hey Phil." You know, and, and Rizzuto completely ignores it. So he just goes right on. Or, uh, or you'll hear this voice hollering, uh, "Hey Lindsay, Lindsay Nelson, come on, what are you telling it is, you bum?" And he just keeps right on going. So you hear this this beer guzzling native up there yelling down into the press box. Now yell, you, 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 <laughs> it is uh, really really evident, of course, that uh, that they even notice this. But don't think they don't. I mean, they really do. Uh, in fact, sometimes they'll hang over the press box. One day I, I was listening to Bog and said, "Turn it up real strong, see, so I can hear the crowd." And and uh, I heard this one guy hollering apparently to another beer guzzling Yahoo, who was you know giving him the news, and he hollers like this. Uh, here it is. He says, "Hey, hey, Frankie! Hey, Phil is eating a hot dog. Phil is eating a hot dog, gang!" And you hear this great applause back there. They're, all, they're applauding the fact that Phil Rizzuto's eating a hot dog while he's doing the ball game. See, and then you hear another voice holler, "Hey, Phil, Phil, you got mustard on it, huh, Phil?" And, uh, you know, Rizzuto just keeps right on going. He's saying things like, and now let's take a look at the scores from, uh, let's see, from the West Coast. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the voice of the native is going to be heard no matter what you say. He's going to be there yelling, see. And uh, I, I don't know whether I should bring this up at this point. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, the voice of the native, I uh, this may seem to be totally irrelevant, but it is not irrelevant. Because the native is the one that sits there and watches television all. He loves TV. Would you agree? Oh, yes. I mean, this is meat and potatoes to the average walking around native. And uh, it is. He loves it. And uh, among other things, he loves sports on television. Very important. Oh, yes. And, and have you ever turned your radio on at the same time you're watching a game on television and noticed the difference between the accounts of the two games? Oh yeah, television, for example, you you find that the that the TV commentators really don't talk much about the game. They talk a lot about Dandy Don's mustache, or uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about Howie's new book. Uh, there's a big discussion about uh, whether or not the next week the series the starring uh, uh, Alex Karras is going to go on or isn't going to go on. And, and, and all the down there, you see these guys slugging it out on the field, and you don't hear much about the game on television. You notice that, or haven't you? Ah, you turn it on, you know. It's great to to, to cross-index things like that. It's kind of great. I, I'd like to suggest once what you ought to do is turn down the sound on television news and then turn up the sound on your radio and get the, you know, the, the radio has news at 7 o'clock, too. Turn it up, see, and substitute the radio news for the television picture. You'd be amazed that there's hardly any news on television. There's always eight minutes of a new rock group that's rehearsing someplace. That's called news. Have you noticed that? That's a very big deal. Or else uh, Linda Ellerby visits a place where they're selling hot dogs, and she talks to the hot dog lady. That's another, uh, that's called a feature. That's uh, eight minutes. 
And uh, there's a lot of kidding back and forth on TV news, you know, constantly laughing about uh, Ralph Penz's tie. Uh, it's called, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and this this is this is called uh, yeah it's called news. See, and it's very difficult to find much news on tele- actual news. You see, now now take 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 your average TV sportscaster. He spends a lot of time talking about anything but the scores. You notice that? Oh yes, it's very difficult to get Jim Bouton to give the scores of anything because he seems to be much more concerned with the legislation between the owners and the ball players. This goes whatever the ball player is, football, hockey, and making the he'll throw in as an after uh, afterthought that the Rangers drop one thirty-seven to nothing. Can you imagine the Rangers dropping one thirty-seven to nothing? All those pucks flying like that. Or did you think I didn't know what that meant? <laughs> All right, George. But uh, nevertheless, tonight we'd like to deal once again, if we may, since it is the end of the week. Uh, one of the prime products on television and radio and all the various media today. And that, of course, is the commercial. No question about it. Do you agree? I mean, I think people warm to a commercial. I really do. I, in fact, I understand that the ice show, for the first time, you know, one of the big ice shows that was in town. You remember when the ice shows used to have things like a salute to a Pinocchio? You know, the exciting stuff. Or they would have a seven-minute sequence called, and now the ice show... In all of its dazzling glory, salutes Rogers and Hammerstein and Oklahoma. And everybody come out dressed like farmers and they'd sing, uh, Oh, what a beautiful morning. You remember those things? Now they do commercials on the ice. Yes, they had a seven-minute sequence uh, saluting Sarah. You know, uh, Sarah Lee? And everybody was was skating around singing, Everybody about everybody loves Sarah Lee and they'd you know and I thought, Well this is the whole thing, you know, the kids love it. See, this is this is where it's at today. And uh and so I mean why go against the grain? You're listening to probably the Jolly Jean Green Giant's greatest fan. I love the Jolly Green Giant. I love it. Whenever he comes there I get that warm feeling, you know, he's bringing out more succotash for the natives and uh and, you know, so they're always so happy about it. Never get mad at those lumpy mashed potatoes they keep getting. Uh, life is so nice in TV commercials. Uh, it's, uh, for example, have you noticed how, how many people today are showing remorse on television commercials for cons- consistently using the wrong furniture polish? Oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, no, no. And the ladies that are always surprised that it's ivory snow that makes the diaper softer, and of course, if you wait long enough, the next commercial comes on and you find that the ladies have given up diapers entirely. They use disposable diapers in the next commercial. So you're constantly at these cross sections and cross currents are going on and on and on. And in the middle of it all is the cop shows, uh, which intersperse the commercials. And uh, I'd like to suggest that, uh, that, uh, that the cop shows really touch the real way the cop life is. Now, most of us think it must be tough being a cop, right? Well, I have a friend who sends me a little, uh, one of my spies, he sends me notices of what's happening out on the West Coast because what's happening on the West Coast, of course, will eventually happen here in the East Coast. It goes from West to East. You notice this, right? Well, here's a beautiful picture. This is going in my vast file of uh, dynamic trivia so that people a thousand years from now will know what life was really like in our time. Now, you can't see what that is. See, if I had the TV camera, I'd hold it up to you. But it shows a police officer who looks a little bit like uh, like uh, McLeod. 
He looks a little bit like uh, Dennis, what's his name? Uh, McLeod, what's his name? Weaver, that's right. He looks, you know, he's got the mustache and the mod haircut and the whole business thing. And he looks like McLeod, he really does. And uh, he's standing, you see, he's got the mustache and all. And you see this elderly gentleman standing on the left of the picture, and he's got a very funny look on his face. He actually has, but it's a picture in the Los Angeles Times. It was last week there. And uh, the, the caption under the picture reads, Giant-sized badge. And it's a presentation that's going on. Obviously, the young officer is presenting this elderly gentleman a, a, a gift. And the gift looks like an enormous rug is what it looks like. And you see in the middle of the rug, you see this great big uh, design of the rug. And it's a, it's, a, it's a representation of a chief's badge. You know, the chief of police has a badge. And it's his, his badge. And it says chief on it. And the... Uh, the, the caption says, Giant Size Badge, Officer Larry McKinley Wright of Los Angeles PD presents Hooked Rug he made with the design of Los Angeles PD Badge to Chief Ed Davis. Officer McKinley made the presentation to celebrate Davis's fifth year as chief. Now that's a touching little sequence. The officer there made a hooked rug to give to his chief. Isn't that nice? Now, uh, that gives you a great, I, I, I can see a great sequence now for the rookies. You know the rookies? Have you noticed that there's hardly anybody else in that damn police department? You see once in a while a cop in the background, but there's these, three, these three rookies get all the tough cases. You notice that, Orville? They never send out the tactical squad or anything like that. And, uh, and that, that show has got the most incredible coincidences of all. Like, the young rookie will be sent out to quell a riot, and by some mysterious force, his wife is being held as a hostage by the evil rioters. And uh, curiously enough, the rioter who's been injured is the brother-in-law of the other rookie, you know. So uh, that's a very, very small town they live in. Everything happens like that. But nevertheless, here they are out there, and I have an idea for a great sequence for the rookies. It opens up, see, with, uh, with the, you know, the black rookie. There's a black rookie. There's a young married rookie. See, this is to cover the whole sequence. And then there's the young swinger rookie, see, Okay. So the black rookie comes in, and he's got a big package. And uh, the, young, the young married rookie says, uh, Gee, uh, what, what do you got in the package? You're bringing your lunch now in a big bag, huh? And you know how they always have these little chit-chat back and forth. And the black rookie says, No, 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 no. I, 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 this uh, is just a secret. And he says, Well, what is it? Well, it's a secret. And, of course, the next sequence, we see them careening down the main street, as they always do with their flashing lights going on. There's a guy holding 17, uh, uh, 17 senators hostage at the airport, you know, and they have the whole shootout stuff. And now at the end, as they come back, after they've uh, shot it out with the, with the hostages, and they've, uh, they've, you know, they've killed Roddy McDowell, who, uh, as you know, is a, is, a, is a crazed assassin in anything he's in, uh, we now return back to the squad car, and the boys are going back to the station house. And uh, and uh, now the young black rookie is, is sitting in the back there, and he's got this package. And uh, the the guy's driving. He's the the young married one. See, they've rescued his wife, who was being also held hostage by these evil uh, assassins. 
and everything's cool now. And they're going back to the station house, and the radio always, you know, radio always comes on when you're in any squad car. The radio comes on immediately. It says, out of 12, out of 12, code 7. And uh, code 7 means uh, you can drop by the blimpy base now and have a blimpy. That's what that means. Did you know that? Code, you didn't know that? You don't know that. Oh, well, that, one of the better ones is add up 12, add up 12, code 3. Code 3 means turn all your lights on and uh, turn on, you know, the thing on the top with the red light and the siren to let the guy who you're supposed to arrest know that you're coming so he can run away. See, that's called code 3. I never can understand that. Why do police turn on their siren when they're coming to break up a robbery? But they do, see? <laughs> oh, well. So uh, you've heard that, haven't you? So, uh, anyway, the thing comes out of 12, code 6. And that means come on back to the station house quick because there's another big case breaking. Well, at that point, uh, the young rookie, the young black rookie says, well, he said, uh, I want all you guys to uh, come on in to see Lieutenant Riker with me. You know Lieutenant Riker. He's their, you know, he's their, their kindly twinkling-eyed lieutenant who's always talking about the generation gap. I mean, he, you know, he's a full 36. So that means he's very elderly today for television, see. And so uh, uh, they're driving back now to see Lieutenant Riker. And uh, the young rookie says, uh, I want you guys to come in the office with me. And uh, sure enough, they all go into Lieutenant Riker's office, and the young rookie is carrying a package with him. And uh, and at that point, Lieutenant Riker says, Hey, uh, you guys sure... Cleared up that case, you know. I don't know what's with you guys. You're always getting in trouble, and I don't want to hear no more about this case. You hear that? I don't hear no more about this cockamamie case. You guys shot it out. It's okay, but uh, we're going to have to put you guys on another shift or something. You guys are accident prone. You know, he's always making little funnies like that to the rookies. At that point, the young rookie says, Chief, I have something to show you. Chief says, look, will you put the package down when you're talking to me? You're talking to a lieutenant. Now, put the package down. I want you to stand up, put your hat on. After all, we're going to have an inspection here in 20 minutes. And what's in the package anyway? He says, well, that's the surprise, Chief. The Chief says, well, come on, surprise. I don't have time for surprise. This is a police department. We don't have no surprises here. And I'm not going to have no birthday cakes or nothing like that, right? And at that point, the young rookie says, Chief, just a minute. And he unwraps the package. And there before our eyes is a magnificent presentation, crocheted, handmade bedspread. And it says, to the lieutenant from the rookies. And the chief says, what the hell is this? And at that point, the rookie says, well, you know, this is our first anniversary on the forest, lieutenant. And I wanted to celebrate it. And so uh, me and the boys got together, Mike and the other guys, we all chipped in and they bought the, the yard. And, you know, I've been crocheting ever since I was a kid. So I crocheted this beautiful handmade crocheted bedspread for you, lieutenant. And uh, we just thought we'd give it all to you. Says, what the hell is happening in this police department? Crocheted bedspread. Don't you know cops don't even sleep? We don't have no beds. Next thing you know, you guys are going to come in here wearing pink shirts. Next thing you know, you guys are going to come in telling me you're going to Italian movies. Hanging around old bars down in the village. That's what's going to happen next. It's coming and I can see it coming right now. What the devil is all this? And so, friends, times are changing. And so a leading police officer, the lieutenant 
police force in New York City will eventually get a bedspread from one of his leading rookies as a gift on his 12th anniversary as chief. How far is it going to go? I mean, where is it ever going to end? Bring it up there, please. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Hold it there, Lieutenant Riker. This is WOR New York. Reset that. I'm going to need that. This is WOR New York, I repeat. Hey, and speaking of, uh, <laughs> of WOR New York, uh, I, have a, I have a note here. We have some commercials here. There's a good one. Uh, tomorrow, this is uh, Friday, of course. Tomorrow, Saturday, October 12th, I'm going to be at Lime Rock. In fact, the entire staff, the editors, the writers, as you know, I write regularly every month and have for five years now for Car and Driver. Uh, the entire editorial staff, the whole crowd, is going to be up at Lime Rock, up in Connecticut, for the big third race of the Showroom Stock Sedan Challenge Trophy. That's a, their big annual event up there, and it's going to be a, a wild bash. I, I hope that you can make it. it if, uh, if the weather's right, this is going to be a great weekend. And uh, where is Lime Rock? Well, Lime Rock is up near Lakeville, Connecticut. You know how to get up there? Yeah, well, all right. Uh, I've got the dope here somewhere. Okay, it doesn't matter. You'll find where Lime Rock is if you're smart. Uh, Lime Rock, Lime Rock, why, where, 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 what, where, where? Yeah, Lime Rock Race Park, Lime Rock, Connecticut. It's a 1.2-mile road circuit located in the southwestern corner of Connecticut. It's roughly two hours from New York. So you, you just drive, drive straight up. Uh, it's, it's right up on the western side. It's a lovely, lovely track. And it starts tomorrow at 12 noon. And uh, get up there. I'm just warning you that uh, that the place was packed last time, so get there early and uh, bring yourself a lunch or bring yourself uh, a girl and sit out there in the beautiful grass and watch the racing. What are these? These are stock cars. It's not the, the 500 Daytona type thing. These are these are Pintos, Civics, Dodge Colt, Toyotas, Datsuns. Very exciting racing, and uh, it's really wild. They also have uh, some sport car racing, too. There's about seven different events that will go on there, including uh, Corvettes, uh, 240Zs, and uh, this is big-time, tough racing. And uh, the whole object of this race is, of course, readers themselves, who are good drivers, who qualify, uh, compete against leading race drivers that are on the staff of Car and Driver. Now, these are not just guys that go up and drive a car. Pat Bedard, by the way, is a recognized driver and is way up in the national points uh, totals. And he'll be the guy representing Car and Driver. He won last year, incidentally, in an Opal, in case you're interested. A great race. So that's tomorrow, Lime Rock, 12 noon, Car and Driver, the Stock Car Trophy Race. And it should be one hell of an afternoon, if you will, Bill, please. Hey, Jerry, what's the story? Ever since people found out how low our prices are, JGE Appliance, Furniture, Carpet, and Jewelry stores have been the talk of the town. In a leading trade magazine, some chain stores objected to our low prices. One guy who runs nine stores out in Queens said, The JGE stores don't have fancy displays and high-salaried employees. They can afford to be lower in price and get away with it. And another guy with a couple of stores in Manhattan said, People who used to be steady customers now come into my store to look 
for model numbers so they can buy it at a lower price from JGE. Well, while we're shaking up a lot of our competition, we're not shaking down the working guy. So if you want the best prices on appliances, carpet, furniture, and jewelry, come to JGE. Just show us your union or civil service card at the door. JGE, only for union members and their families. So that's the story, Jerry! That's the story! of an Alfa Romeo, the name that became legend in racing. But how practical is a legend for the family man? Very practical, because for 1974, Alfa has translated the legend into the four-door Berlina family sedan. The Berlina brings you the soul of an Alfa, double overhead cam aluminum engine, five-speed gearbox, plus fuel injection efficiency that Motor Trend magazine reported at 32 miles per gallon. What you get depends on how you drive. The Berlina brings you comfort in the true GT heritage, reclining seats, magnificent handling, optional air conditioning, and more. The Alfa Romeo Berlina. Now the family man can drive a legend instead of just a car for under $6,000. Alfa Romeo. Uh, Trey Elegant, to test drive the new Alfa Romeos, check the yellow pages for the location of your nearest Alfa Romeo dealer. That's spelled A-L-F-A dash Romeo, like a Romeo and. In Sunday's New York Times, James Reston, in an exclusive interview with Henry Kissinger, helps you understand how the Secretary of State views his own role as a statesman. In two full pages of candid questions and answers, Kissinger talks about his past and your future and tells Reston what he thinks the average citizen can do about America's role as a world power. You'll meet a lot of other interesting people in Sunday's Times, like Supreme Court Justice William Rehnquist. You'll also meet some young people who tried to fight the system back in the 60s and now are trying to live with it. If you're looking for a place to live, you'll find nearly 600 ads for co-op and condominium apartments in the real estate section. And if you're thinking about a new car, you'll find plenty of ideas in the special 18-page automobile section of Sunday's New York Times. Meanwhile, to cut down on using your old car, home delivery of the New York Times is a perfect idea. Just call MU70700, that's area code 212-MU70700, for home delivery of the New York Times. When our landlord said, move out, the building's coming down, we panicked. Could you see this 78-year-old company out in the middle of the street with thousands of men's suits while the wreckers begin tearing down the building? Gramercy Park's Brain Trust advised, run a removal sale. Everybody loves a removal sale. But you know what happens when you move. So much to do, you can't do everything. But somehow the day comes and goes and there you are. And the day came and went, and here we are. Now Gramercy Park wants to sell a lot of men's clothing in a hurry. The best way is price. If you want a nice suit or a sport coat or some slacks at a price, go to 61 West 23rd Street. Go upstairs through the big iron gate. There's no obligation. Credit cards are okay. Gramercy Park is open to 7, Saturday to 6, and on Sunday from 10 to 5. The address is 61 West 23rd Street, New York. In its current issue, TV Guide magazine looks at that perennial hot potato, censorship. How does it affect television? 
Find out in a thoughtful article that traces censorship's history and peers into its future. In the same issue, TV Guide talks with James Earl Jones about his poetry, Shakespeare, fried catfish, cheap chops, and his roots in Mississippi. This week, TV Guide's cover story looks at Rhoda, who had an easier time moving from Minneapolis to New York than Valerie Harper had going from the Mary Tyler Moore show to her own series. The difficulty of going from second banana to star status. Examined this week in TV Guide, America's biggest selling magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. Okay, enough of them bells. Okay. <laughs> TV Guide. Yeah. You know that the TV Guide is, uh, is, uh, is probably the major reading material now in most people's houses. In fact, you can even get a Morocco leather cover for your TV Guide. It's a presentation family TV Guide cover with your family crest. So that a hundred years from now, they'll have grandfather's old cover from his old TV Guide. You know. Grandfather, you know, that's you. <laughs> Understand? <laughs> you know, have you ever looked at? Have you ever looked at old uh, these these uh, old furniture places? You know, it's very hip today to to buy nothing but old furniture. That's extremely hip. Not antiques, old furniture. It's different. Antiques. Uh, that's old ladies buy antiques. The hip buy old furniture. That's a very big difference. And. Uh, have you ever looked in these places where they're selling old furniture? Because you understand now, old furniture today costs more than new furniture. And uh, a lot of old furniture places have taken that into account. Uh, most people think, you know, they're really getting this great bargain. They go and they buy this old furniture, and it's kind of nice. That colorful little shop, you know, on uh, Morton Street, uh, <laughs> which uh, only the very incognoscenti know. So uh, you go down there. And I saw, I saw just the other day, see, I'm looking in this one place, and here he's got in the window there, and there's a lot of people, and they're buying this stuff at incredible prices. And uh, he's got a kerosene lamp in the window. And, of course, the, the little sign there says $17. It said authentic. Well, of course, I, I, I had to ask him about that, so I went in, I said, it's authentic what? He says, an authentic kerosene lamp. I said, yes, of course, I see that. He said, well, it's authentic, you know. I said, well, authentic. You mean to say it's it's authentic? It's uh, it uh, it can burn kerosene just like a real kerosene lamp. That's exactly what I mean. It's an authentic kerosene lamp. Well, the reason I was asking him this is this is exactly the same kerosene lamp that you can get any time you care to go into Sears Roebuck right now at this minute for roughly three dollars and twenty-five cents. That's where he got it. And so now he's selling it in the village because they figured that they don't have kerosene lamps anymore. See, anybody that lives in the village figures that anything that, that's in an old furniture shop, they don't have anymore. And uh, so, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't blow the guy's gaff. And uh, so I walked uh, around in the shop, and he had, he had a little wooden box there. And in the wooden box, he had four or five uh, lamp chimneys. You know, the, you know, these little glass lamp chimneys for, for uh, kerosene lamps. And I'm looking at the lamp chimney. And again, the science is authentic. And uh, they were seven fifty each. Well, now I happen to know a hardware store uh, right out on Route Twenty Two. 
where you can buy a lamp chimney for roughly $2, maybe $1.75. See, because people are constantly breaking their kerosene lamp chimneys. But in the village, they think they don't have those anymore, see. And all these guys are buying these lamp chimneys just to hang up or something, see. So I said, uh, it's authentic, right? Yes, indeed. It's an authentic lamp chimney. Of course, you realize that's for the coal oil lamp. I said, yeah, I realize that's for the coal oil lamp. It's authentic. Is that the authentic price there, $7? Oh, you don't realize, of course, that they don't make those like that anymore. Understand? Well, uh, so I staggered back a little bit. And I went down the street, and I I was thinking about this, and uh, maybe five or six blocks down the street I'm walking along, and here's this place where they sell old toys. Very important place. And he had in the window an actually authentic set of Tinker Toys. Oh, you know, that's very important. The only thing is, though, if you buy it from him, it's going to cost you roughly $14. It's a sign that said $14 on it. It's authentic. But if you bought it, say, out of the Sears Roebuck catalog, where they still sell Tinker Toys, it's cost you maybe $1.95 for that set, right? Uh, I know one little place where they actually sell to people who don't know that you can still buy Coca-Cola in bottles. They're so used to buying Coca-Cola in cans, they think that uh, they've done away with bottles now. And I know a guy that's getting 75 cents up to $2 for Coke bottles. I mean, you go right down to the A&P, you get all you want, you know. (laughs) So uh, it all depends on which way you're looking. Depends. Like, uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, the first time I began to see there was a big difference between dream and reality, friends. And this is going to be a story. For all of you who think that Shepard never tells stories about the time when he was a kid, and you're getting mad because he doesn't tell those stories, that's because you haven't been listening. Uh, everybody's, uh, there is not one person alive who does not have within him an ex-kid. No matter how official you get. There is a time, and there always was a time, there always will be a time, when down inside of you, you remain inviolably a kid. You agree with that? That's correct. You cannot get rid of it. You, you can't think, though, in terms of other people having that problem. You never, you never think of, say, a president inside of him as this kid whose nose runs. It's an absolute fact. that It's there. And, and I, I, uh, I remember the first time that I discovered that, uh, that fans can actually affect what goes on on the field. Now, you think you don't. You know, you're sitting out in the stands, and you hear this great crowd roaring, and uh, you think it's, uh, there's no effect at all. Do you remember the first time when you discovered that your father was not quite what you thought he was? You do recall it. Now, it can be a good or a bad feeling. Which is it? Good? Well, then you must have had a, 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 an image of your old man as being somewhat of an ogre. And then one day you saw that he wasn't, huh? Okay. Well, uh, did you ever have a deep insight into into the another area of your father? Saying? Other, good or bad. So you're just saying whether he's a good person or a bad person. But uh, you, you see your father as, uh, as uh, let's say, filled with human weakness and frailties. Well, 
I, I don't know what this is about my old man. I'm going to tell you a story about uh, <laughs> my old man was a fantastic baseball fan and, and, and a sport fan of all types. He went to see the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I mean, he went to see the show before, uh, you know, before it was even fashionable to have him on television. And he just went down and watched him slug it out. And uh, he loved it, see? And then when they weren't slugging it out, he'd go out to Wrigley Field and watch the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers slug it out. Now, you people in the East don't know anything about the tradition of the Bears and the Packers, do you? You hear rumors. Well... If you think that the old Brooklyn Dodgers, New York Giants battles were epic, you have no idea what it was like when Green Bay would be playing uh, the the Bears in Wrigley Field. Now, Wrigley Field is a little, uh, it's a field where everything is enclosed, and you can hear voices drifting from one side to the other. And on one side of the stands, the whole stands, would be filled with Green Bay Packer fanatics. And uh, if you know anything about Wisconsin, and I presume you don't, Everybody from Wisconsin is roughly six feet five to eight, maybe eight feet. Uh, yes, they're all Swedish or Norwegian. Uh, they eat a lot of cheese, and they have enormous shoulders. And uh, the smallest of the Green Bay Packer fans could easily have made the backfield of the Bears. So uh, to watch these two teams struggle it out, and then to see the fans battle out after that, was one fantastic way to spend the Sunday afternoon in the cold. And uh, so the old man is sitting out there all the time. But he never took me to the, 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 the Chicago Bears games because that was too expensive <laughs> to get that seat. But once in a great while, I would I get taken with him to see a baseball game. Usually at the end of the season when the pennant race was over and, uh, you know, what the hell, it doesn't matter anymore. And I, I remember one end of the season, I know that the baseball season is over, but we're not doing a show about baseball fans. We're doing a show about fans, just fans, fans in general. Now, I had never actually gone to a ball game at this, up to this point with my father. He was always going to ball games with my uncles. And, uh, you know, it was a, kind of a mysterious thing. He and my uncle Charles would go to a ball game, and they'd come home late at night. In, in mean moods, usually. Well, what are you going to do when you're a White Sox fan? you got to come home in a bad mood. Uh, you guys don't realize that the White Sox went sometimes as long as three, four, five years without winning a game at home. And uh, this causes a certain irritation among the fans. And uh, also, there is a great resentment of the visiting team. Now, you don't feel this in New York because most people in New York think of the visiting team really as kind of the supernumerary. We go to see Joe Namath, and whoever's playing the, the, the club is just sort of out there, you know. New York does not know that other, other cities hate New York. It doesn't know this. It, it would be very hard to get New York, say, to hate Minnesota. You agree? And yet there's a ball team in Minnesota. And they constantly are faced with the prospect of playing a New York team. <laughs> In other words, New York does not realize the, f the depth of feeling that the rest of the country has that is anti-New York. Now, let's face it, New York uh, does not localize the depth of its feeling for the rest of the country. It resents the rest of the country on toto, but not specifically. So you'll never find a guy standing on the corner, say, of 49th and Madison saying to another guy, Oh, boy, I'll tell you, Manny, one thing I hate, really hate, is Indianapolis. No way. He 
kids, uh, he'll say something like, "Hey, Manny, you know, I, I I really can't stand it when you once once you get past Jersey City. Have you notice how nutty the people are? No, that's more like what you'll hear. See, <laughs> generalized anger about New York, about the rest of the country, but New York is a specific anger in other parts of the country. And so I I was witness to this one day, and I'll never forget it. You want to hear? How it actually works in, in, in true fandom? Okay. It is late in the season. Now, this was during the era when the New York Yankees uh, automatically, by, let's say, late April, were maybe 17 to 25 games ahead of the rest of the American League. Do you recall that era? Right? And by late September... I mean, forget it. I mean, by September, the Yankees were just playing out the string. Well, this presented the real problems to the other ball clubs, especially the fans. They began to resent this year after year. It wasn't a matter of the Yankees just winning the pennant. It was the Yankees destroyed the other teams. That was that was what got them. I mean, completely slaughtered them. In fact, there was a time when the White Sox went, I think, for over 10 years without winning a game against the Yankees in Comiskey Park. So this got, you know, this got the rankling. And specific ball players would get him especially. And the better the ball player on the other team, the more the hatred. Well, for some reason, my old man took it out on a, on Lou Gehrig. <laughs> Lou Gehrig, to him, represented everything that the White Sox weren't. And he, something about Gehrig, he really hated. I was a little kid. See, I didn't know. I, I didn't know anything except that they were the Yankees. And the old man would come home and he says, Ah, they're playing the Yankees again. Oh, damn it. They're always playing the Yankees. See, he was never so mad when they were playing Cleveland, because Cleveland never won either. You know, They were playing St. Louis. St. Louis never won. It was always give and take between the White Sox and the Browns. But when they were playing the Yankees, that was just, you know, the curtain would come down. So one late September, it was late in September, the White Sox were playing the Yankees, a doubleheader, and at the office, the old man had won some kind of a raffle and got three seats to the doubleheader free. And so he's taken me and my kid brother. It's late in the season. The White Sox are playing a doubleheader. The Yankees are warming up for the World Series, which they owned for many years. The World Series was a New York event and nothing to do with the rest of the country, if you recall. And so it is late September. The Yankees are maybe 70, 80 games ahead in the American League. The White Sox are down in eighth place, battling it out with the Brownies. It was nip and tuck as who was to get seventh place that year. And so the White Sox are playing against the Yankees in this doubleheader, and we're sitting out in the right field, deep in right field. Thousands of people would come out and try to see the White Sox beat the Yankees. They never did. But that was the only time anybody came into the ballpark. Thousands of people were out there. And we're sitting in right field in the upper deck, right on the foul line, just inside the fair territory slot. You got it? And here, fantastic. And the old man is sitting we're right down on the edge of the upper deck. We're looking right down. We can see the Yankee outfielder down there wearing a gray uniform. And they looked lethal. Uh, the White Sox had fancy uniforms, had big red uh, Chicago all over the front. They had funny birds in their hats. The sadder the team, the jazzier the uniform. I've come to that conclusion. The Yankees had these gray suits that looked like dirty underwear. 
I mean, they didn't need any more, see. Before we go any further, please, if you will. Tis still months before Christmas, but the Lincoln Gift House is so full of free gifts there's no room for a mouse. The new Lincoln Savings Bank has free gifts galore, with so many to choose from. You've not seen before, there are over a hundred. Come look at them all, and you'll think that old Nick has come in the fall. On Donner, on Blitzen, to West 48th. Come and feast on our goodies like Henry VIII. Come select what you like and take it home when you leave, or the Lincoln will hold it until Christmas Eve. Come by subway or reindeer or taxi or bus. You can come down the chimney, but come and see us. Just deposit some savings and get your free gift, and your savings and spirits will both get a lift. If you've no time for shopping, you've no time to lose. Just write for the gift book that helps you to choose. Write the Lincoln Savings Bank, 20 West 48th Street, New York, 10036. The Lincoln, 20 West 48th Street, New York, 10036. Member FDIC. Uh, we have a commercial here that says at the outset, Good news! An exciting restaurant in New York City is offering good food. Well, that certainly is news. Indeed. For a great evening, go to Le Champ. At, uh, let's see, Le Champ is where? It's at 25 East 40th Street. And if you're confused about what that is, let's put it this way. It's spelled Les Champs. Yeah, remember him? Played with the old Dodgers when they were here in New York. First baseman. Good glove man. Couldn't hit. Have a night on the town at Le Champ. It's at 25 East 40th Street. And uh, it's a kind of a nice restaurant. They have one line here, though, that is unforgettable as far as commercials are concerned. It says, door-to-door cab service can be arranged. They'll even walk you to your apartment. Can't you see the head waiter named Luigi walking you home to your apartment out there in Flatbush? You know, that, that's, a, that's an outfit that wants you to come there. That's a 25 East 40th Street between Park and Madison. Les Champs. Now, do you have another one for us? It's a national brands than most stores in the land. It's a grand union of all the things. Grand union. Oh, yeah. Produce He's singing it out there. This week, Grand Union has an all-beef. My, oh, yes. It's a I'm not supposed to sound and talk over this guy. <laughs> Oh, man, it's musical comedy all the way. Prices you pay. Isn't he nice? They're so low every day. Oh, yeah. Okay, here are some of the prices. Come on, let's go, fellas. Sirloin steak, full cut and well trimmed, only $1.38 a pound in Union. And they got chuck steak, only 58 a pound. Wow. And Campbell's tomato soup, only 15 cents a can. They're all good things. And, of course, it's at Grand Union where they do all the singing. <laughs> Sing it out there. There's a way to keep your car going great and going far. It's called the Chevrolet. Chevron dealers want to be the ones who keep you worry free.
right turn into Chevron. Your Chevron dealer is an auto specialist who can offer all the things your car needs to keep it running smoothly, like Atlas Steel Radial Tires. They'll give you sure traction, smoother handling, and a safer ride than ordinary tires because of their strong steel radial construction. Now's the time to see your Chevron dealer about the Atlas Steel Radial 70 Tire. And take the Chevron way. What we're going to have to do, fellow sport fans, is do a two-part sequence. <laughs> you remember last week as we left, my old man, he was sitting in the upper right field deck, right? Comiskey Park, section 38A, and the New York Yankees were taking batting practice. Well, be sure to listen next week at the same time for the last and concluding chapter of this thrilling episode in... What up? Come on, Bill. That's it. Don't be, don't be gentle with it. That's it. That knob works, man. In Police File, your favorite running continuing drama against life in the big city. Yes, as the rocking, as the rocking chair creaks and as Grandma snivels over in the corner there and the soup boils on the stove. Life from a small town goes on. TV guide rolls on like that old river. And the reruns fill the air. It can't be long before the leaves fall and Christmas is on its way. And then Easter, once again, we'll be celebrating another great, wonderful summer. And so time moves, friends, as it always does. The great second hand on the enormous clock of existence ticks on. <laughs> and that's tonight's salute to Bill Cullen. Oh, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for In Conversation, you hear?